Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm really excited about today's guest, Kalin Bolia. He's coming to us from Western Romania, and he's got a really interesting ideas around digital product, brand design. We're going to talk about your digital identity, brand identity, how to design better digital products, product market fit, all these interesting ideas around running a digital business. So Kalin, welcome. Hey, uh, thank you for inviting me and happy to be here. Yeah, I know uh, we connected through the Podmatch community. So tell people about your 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 background, you know, your work and, and what you do. Um, sure. So I have been uh, a designer for about 10 years now. Uh, I'm self-taught. I'm, uh, I studied finance in uh, college uh, and then I uh, made the transition like straight out of college, uh, the first real job I got uh, was in design and it sort of went on from there. I never worked a day in my life in a bank or in a financial institution, uh, but it was interesting to, it's an, it was an interesting subject to study. So yeah, after uh, finding my first job at uh, a local advertising agency in my hometown, uh, not where I currently live in Bucharest, uh, which is the capital city, uh, I am originally from a city called Timisoara, uh, which is uh, somewhere in Western Romania, close to the border with Hungary. Over the last six years or so, I've been working remotely for clients from the US uh, and mostly the US and Western Europe. And recently I started my own studio, uh, trying to help more startups find product market fit and uh, if, avoid a lot of newbie mistakes um, that uh, a lot of startups are making when they have an idea founders are excited about something that they want to build uh, they think that it's just a matter of finding some developers to code their idea and that's it but usually it's a longer story than that so through my studio i try to cover all their design needs from brand design all the way to final UI design and working with developers to uh, get their uh, ideas implemented properly. Yeah. That, that's like, like a quick overview. Yeah. I love this idea. You've never worked a day in your life. And it sounds like, you know, those people that say that are either they're pursuing their passions like Warren Buffett or they're, you know, design or entrepreneurs. Um, and then there's, it's interesting. I was at this conference and this guy was wearing this shirt. He was a, 
you know, multi-millionaire, you know, business, and he has a sure saying, successfully unemployed, which is which is yeah. interesting. Well, talk about um, idea of um, uh, what what how important is brand identity? What it is? What is it? Um, how do you develop it? How do you create it in your digital products? All of that. Okay, so with brand identity, things are much more uh, subjective than with product design uh, because with product design you you need to fix a problem for the user the user will give you feedback uh, and it's all much more objective uh, you can measure um, how the user is interacting with your product so you can see if it's working or not uh, with brand design it's a bit more subjective because in essence brand identity is or what a brand is, it's collective perception of your audience or, or, or people that interact with your company. Um, so it's that it's, uh, or there's another saying that branding is what people are saying about you when you're not in the room. It's much more subjective, uh, but there are ways that you can influence what uh, people think about you by the way you present yourself, by the way you speak. It's very similar to it's a common term that's thrown around uh, around uh, a lot lately personal uh, branding uh, it's sort of the same thing uh, what people think about your company is essentially brand identity and with brand identity design you can try to influence that tailoring the way your company looks and speaks to what your audience would appreciate and there's a there needs to be a, a, a balance between who you are and what you want to say uh, and what uh, acceptable uh, or interesting to your audience. Um, so th that, that's, that, that's a, not a, an easy balance to strike. Uh, they, that is what everyone should strive for. Because if you, if you veer too far towards worrying about what people say about you and just trying to please everyone, just trying to find uh, a, a gray area where everyone is, is not bothered by you in any way, uh, then you become unnoticeable, you become bland. And uh, as a company, you want to stand out in some way. So uh, with brand design, you need to have a bit of courage and have the, the courage to express your personality as a company. I think that long-winded explanation may be... Uh, uh, answered your question about what is brand uh, identity. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've noticed among uh, thought leaders, influencers, is there's this one idea is they, so the, I think the mantra is they'd say niche down and the riches are in the niches. But then I've also seen, um, so basically these brands, like they, they're very narrow, they go very deep, um, very successful. Then I also see other brands, they go, they go wide and shallow and make it, you know, they kind of, they, they, and then they, the brands stand out. So what, what, what is better, this uh, deep and shallow or wide and narrow? Because, you know, I've seen models where wide and narrow works as well. So um, tell us your thoughts on, on that. Well, that, I think that, that has more to do with product strategy rather than uh, brand strategy. Uh, so the brand is is the same, is the, the company ethos, who you are as a company and how you uh, present yourself. In terms of product strategy uh, and product design, um, yeah, those, the, the, you have those two 
uh, approaches. And I think it depends on the market. Uh, usually the winning recipe is going, uh, niching down and going deep uh, and building a community and really serving customers excellent. And then you can branch out into other verticals. A uh, popular example is Amazon. Amazon started not by selling everything, anything and everything. Uh, they started selling books. Uh, and when that worked, uh, then they applied the same model, the same system for selling or other things. Uh, and then they, I don't know, they uh, played around and built uh, AWS. And then they started selling that when people uh, wanted to get their, uh, to move their apps to their cloud. And, and that became a different model. Uh, or they expanded and then uh, they started a streaming service. So you, you, for, at first, you need to focus, you have laser, laser focus on uh, a specific niche uh, and, and win big there. And then you can, you can expand. But it's essentially when you're going broad, I think the end result of multiple niches put together side by side. Uh, that's, why, that's when you become or, or have a broad approach is multiple niches actually uh, all side by side. If you try to go very broad, then you uh, are probably going to have a sub solution that no one really is crazy about. Like uh, if the need is there, if, if you're uh, satisfying and a burning need for your customer and you don't have a lot of competition, then that might work, uh, but only for a while because anything in, in capitalism, uh, if there is a need, suppliers are going to come in and fill that need uh, to, to, make a, to make an income. So maybe it works uh, in the beginning, but if, you, if you're in the business for any amount of time, then sooner or later competitors will come in and not only they will start competing with you, uh, for the same market, but they will already have all the knowledge of the mistakes that you've made. So as a first mover, as they call it, it's also an advantage because you can occupy a market, but all, you, you also need to be aware that you are a trailblazer, that people are going to look at you and uh, accelerate their growth because they're not making the same mistakes that you have or opening or, or working to open all the doors uh, or pave the road uh, that you have paved already. It's usually for 99% of, of companies, I think uh, the best approach is to pick a niche uh, and try to provide the best service possible uh, or the best solution possible. I love that. And now... Uh, so what's interesting is that, uh, you know, a really great um, question. And, uh, you know, it also brings in mind Amazon, you know, they started with the retails and then now they're everything. They're mostly a cloud, they're a cloud-based business now. That's uh, where most of their revenue comes from. And um, so one thing is uh, talking about is um, measuring product market fit. How do you measure, how do you measure that? Well, it, there is no cookie cutter solution uh, for pro uh, measuring product market fit. Um, I think I think it was the folks at Slack that came up with this metric at first. I might be 
mistaken, but I think it was the, uh, the company that developed Slack. And they would survey their customers on a regular basis uh, via a, what they call an MPS. Uh, it's a net promoter score. It's a popular survey where you can say the question was, well, actually, MPS asks you if you would recommend this tool for uh, to your to someone else. I think their question was, uh, would you be disappointed if you would no longer be able to use Slack or, or something like this? Uh, and they found that when a percentage of people that would uh, respond that they are, they, they, they would be disappointed is at least 40%, then that is where you, past that point, you can assume you have good product market fit. You have a good enough product that people actually uh, care about. Um, below that, uh, well, like I said, it, it depends uh, and that's, not uh, if you're if it's if it's thirty nine percent or forty one percent, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. But that's the ballpark number uh, that people are looking at. One thing, the other question I had is um, how to decide what features to build and avoid scope creep. I think that comes down to uh, user feedback, uh, especially with startups. Uh, you need to listen to your customers uh, early on, interview them often, uh, they will tell you what, uh, what matters to them. I think scope creep happens when companies try to or lose sight of what really matters or they get enamored with some cool feature idea and they want to build that and they don't have validation that that feature is really useful or at least not as desired as other features. Keeping your ear to the ground and talking to your users regularly, uh, you can gauge the desirability of a certain feature, and then you can weigh that user request uh, with uh, technically difficult it is to implement or how costly, uh, and then you can make a decision uh, how you prioritize your, uh, your road. It, it all comes down to user feedback, uh, listen, yeah, listening to your customers. Uh, which is easier said than done. Most startups struggle to get quality feedback from customers, uh, be partly because, especially in the tech world, you know, though tech companies are usually started for the most part by techies, by developers or designers, uh, you know, people in tech like PMs, and yeah, they just like building stuff. Uh, and they're in their in their in their den uh, at home or whatever, and they're just coding away or uh, building and designing and so on. Uh, but actually, in the early days, getting that that quality user feedback forces you to get out of the house or the office uh, and go talk to people and meet them in person if possible. Uh, start doing sales. Actually, I think the the best way to validate that an idea is worth pursuing in the beginning just pulling to putting together a landing page sharing that with who you think uh, would be interested in your solution and seeing if they take some sort of action they subscribe uh, to get uh, a notification or even better if they pay some sort of i don't know early access fee then that's even better that, that in the end that's the that's what matters if or that's the ultimate uh, proof that 
you've you found product market fit is when people are paying you. Uh, you can look at all kinds of other metrics, but um, in the end, what are, what matters is uh, are people paying for your solution? You might even get interesting or, or positive feedback, but if they're not paying, then uh, you don't have a business. There's no product market fit. There's maybe some product audience fit, but uh, you don't have a business there. Yeah, I like that. I like this idea. Um, and then this idea of... Um... I think it was uh in no it was um one of the masters of scale he was talking about in the early days you have to do things that don't scale to figure out ways and systems and processes to actually help the business scale like in the early days of airbnb they had the joe gebbia and chesky they had to fly up to new york city to talk to um, homeowners you know talk about yeah. what people liked and and basically one of the homeowners gave him a uh, just like notes of info like you know what host wanted and looking and guess and that really helped them um and then yeah. They, yeah they yeah incorporated it to, to their software but um yeah really interesting as we kind of yeah. go ahead sorry <laughs> yeah to to your point i think that was so or at least that's where i heard it from uh i was it's on youtube if you search for Michael Siebel, uh, he is uh, from YC, I think uh, not the president, but uh, a partner at YC. Uh, and he was telling this story that uh, Brian Chesky went out, uh, I think with his partner or whatever, uh, to take professional, uh, and with a professional photographer to take good photos of uh, locations. Uh, and a homeowner that was using their website uh, invited the, invited them for coffee afterwards, yeah. and because they actually cared about their audience, otherwise they would just say, I, ha I have a bunch of other homes to hit today, we have a bunch of photos to take, we don't have time for coffee, thank you. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he took the time because he really cared about his customers and mm -hmm. his users. A few minutes into the conversation, this person told them that, hey, I have this if essentially this journal of all of the all my 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 story renting out this place trying out different uh different apps trying your app uh and writing down feedback etc so it's it was like a gold mine of user feedback and they would have never gotten their hands on uh, on such uh valuable feedback if they wouldn't have uh left the office or just send a photographer and not really care. So caring about your audience and the problem that you want to solve uh, helps you or, or incentivizes maybe move out of your comfort zone to to solve a problem. And that's when you can actually get super valuable feedback because you can you can interview uh, all kinds of people. Maybe you can you can get a bunch of people, especially if if you're uh, paying people to uh, do an interview with you uh, and they will give you very, very shallow feedback or not feedback that is going to be eye-opening for you. Caring definitely matters and going out of your comfort zone to talk to users in person, uh, in the field, that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah I love that. And I, I will, I'm always, um, whenever customers give me feedback, I'm always 
seeing where it's kind of, you know, in, you know, you want information, you want, that's like information from the field and helps you get better new ideas. So, you know, feedback is always um, one. How do people follow you, check out your website, check out your work, uh, check out Contrast Studio and, and, uh, and reach out to you? Sure. So um, the website is contrast.studio. So really easy. Um, and uh, I'm mostly active on LinkedIn. Uh, I am still working to set up online and across social media for the, the studio. That's not a top priority right now, but I'm active on LinkedIn and posting there, uh, there pretty regularly. So um, happy to connect with anyone there. Follow the page or just add me, search for my name and you'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. And happy to chat or uh, help anyone in any way I can. Yeah. And uh, with all that, let's thank uh, Kaylin for coming on. Uh, really interesting conversation. It's very important, this idea of brand identity and product market fit. And uh, all of Kaylin's resources will be in the leaks and show notes. And with that, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. to do be sure to thank this show's sponsors and we'll see you next week